While Dr. Eric Pearl was operating a thriving practice in chiropractic health, in fact, one of the most successful in Los Angeles, he felt that he had seen it all. That is until the universe had other plans for him. While going through a series of anomalous and uninvited events over the course of some months, he realized he was gaining an ability to heal in ways he'd never before experienced or even knew existed. Well, many years later, Dr. Pearl has gone on to introduce hundreds of thousands of individuals to what is now called reconnective healing, and he continues to show the world how to live a reconnected life. Just before we got started with this interview, Dr. Pearl shared with me an experience in which he was conducting a workshop on the reconnective healing approach. He brought up a young man from the audience to teach him how to do the healing. But when Dr. Pearl then summoned a volunteer from the audience in which to perform the healing on, unbeknownst to him, the volunteer was the young man's father, who had been suffering for years from a degenerative joint disease. Well, shortly after the method was shown to the young man, he then followed step by step what Dr. Pearl had shown him on his father, and within minutes, the father had a full range of motion after all these years. Needless to say, this was an emotional experience for both father, son, and even Dr. Pearl himself. After he shared this touching story with me, here's what I asked him. Do you ever Do cease, I to, ever be cease to be amazed? Dr. Eric Pearl? Um, let me see. That's an interesting question. Every healing is new, dramatic, and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And every healing is like a healing for the very first time. For the very first time. And I think with that consciousness, that's what allows the healings to come through Mm -hmm. at their fullest. And by not having intention of a specific result, doesn't mean there's no intention. The intention can be that there be something wonderful that happens, mm-hmm. even whether or not we recognize it. But without having any specific intention of a specific result, and in that wisdom of the uncertainty, you find that you allow the universe to orchestrate the healing in ways far beyond what you may have anticipated. It's a dance in many ways. Mm -hmm. And when you dance, it's not always best that you always lead. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to say something that you just absolutely amazed me. We're going to go off script because we both, I think, deplore scripts. Anyway, I didn't know you right? had a script. We don't have a script. Well, I'm looking at a little bit of a script. But I'm you just, we're just going to chat. Something I love about you. May I call you Eric? I hope so. Okay. Because if you call me Fred, I might not answer. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you are so thoughtful. F-U-L-L. I've watched your presentation. I've watched you. You and I have had several conversations. Very much like me, actually. You think... You process. I know why you're so good at what you do, I think. Because you're channeling, I hasten to use the words, not a label person, but what I sense is that you're really gleaning information as you are asked questions. You don't just spit something out. 
you process. This is, I think, part of your gift is what I say. I, I'm not asking you to agree or disagree. I'm just telling you what I say. And I think that's part of what makes you so special. I love your story. And I know you've told this story in your book. Um, and I want you to tell it, if you would, for our audience a little bit. Again, the impetus for what got you into what is now called reconnective healing. It was an anomaly. It sounds like there were a string of anomalies for you that were really blessings. Wouldn't you agree? There were a multitude of very many interesting things that manifested. And, and you know, you want to say, well, it started here. Mm -hmm. But you never know when something began, because if you step back three feet, you see it actually began a little earlier, began a little earlier, began a little earlier. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for me, when I've gone way back, if I wanted to, I could point to the, I could point to my birth, because my mother died giving birth to me, and, um, and came back to life and told of the experience, and it was not spoken about at that time. We didn't have such um, respected researchers in the field as Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Raymond Moody. We didn't have Daniel Brinkley. Um, we didn't have Eben Alexander. And so my mother related the story to me one time when I had asked, because... Let me see, I think my grandmother had recently died, so I must have been around five, and my concept of dying was you end up in a box underground. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to not be conscious in that picture that I was lying there in a box underground. So to me, my idea of death was I lie down in a box and I'm underground forever, and that didn't feel really good. So I went home and I told her, and she sat me down and explained the story where she was lying on the delivery table she felt as if and heard motors or engines starting at her feet and going to her ankles and her knees and moving up and she tried to get the attention of the doctors and the other people in the delivery room because she knew that if it got to her heart she was going to die and she didn't want to die and she couldn't get anyone's attention she was amazed they didn't hear it and suddenly it got to her heart and the next thing she knew she had left her body and she was moving up through layers of beings or souls, however, she said, we don't really have words for this here. The first level or layer were the people who didn't realize that they had died or they felt they had, had, they had work yet to finish here. The second, she doesn't recall. The third one was the only one that felt a little uncomfortable for her to pass through and uncomfortable for the people who were on it. It was like a delay, not a stoppage, but let's say a temporary delay for people who had done the only thing that you could do to temporarily interrupt, shall we say, to interrupt God's plan, which was they were the ones who had taken their own lives. Mm -hmm. She passed through a few more layers and got to the top, found herself drifting down a lane. Although her feet weren't moving, she feels that this is what most people refer to as the tunnel. Mm -hmm. um, she passed flowers of colors she had never seen. Um, saw people from this lifetime and from many lifetimes, um, knew who they were. One glance conveyed volumes of information, yet there was no language, nothing verbal. Um, she was 
finding herself imbued with the secrets of the universe, how ridiculous it is to judge people by their appearance, um, how we can't blame God for anything, even seemingly inexplicable, seemingly inexplicable um, atrocities such as drive-by shootings, mm -hmm. how there's a reason for everything and everything makes perfect sense. She knew why the earth was round, why the grass was green, why the sky was blue, how war is a temporary state of barbarism that we are um, evolving beyond, and we will evolve beyond. Um, when she, she saw this light, she was moving towards the light. She was afraid to look at it because it was so bright she thought it might burn her eyes, but she did open her eyes and look and realize that there was nothing physical to burn. And when she got there, her life was laid out before her, and she knew it was a beautiful life, and yet there was no judgment. She knew and realized that if there were any one thing that people who pass on, people who die, who leave their bodies, regret, it's only that those here who are left behind mourn them because we don't realize what a beautiful place that is, that that is home. This is a temporary visit. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly she found herself being sent back. Now for all the struggling she did not to go, not to want to die in the first place. Now she didn't want to return. But she was told she had to come back to raise her child. And she felt herself being programmed to forget all the insights that she had. And so she struggled to hold on to these few that she retained when she came back. And you know, one of the things she learned is that how she would never judge anyone by their appearance again. And when she woke up in the hospital bed, she looked at the woman who was in the bed next to her and thought to herself, Oh, is that an unattractive woman? And then she laughed. She said, Didn't I just learn? So, did it start there? I don't know. I went back for a little visit with someone went back and saw things we didn't see. But if you want to go on, on a more earthly surface level, where did it begin? Well, I practiced as a chiropractor for 12 years, and one night um, when I was asleep, for about an hour after I'd gone to sleep, I woke up because a bright light came bursting through my eyes. I opened my eyes to see what it was, and it wasn't anything unusual, except for the lamp next to my bed, it had decided to turn itself on. I'd had that lamp for a good ten years. It hadn't turned itself on before, but there it was. And my bedroom door, which was closed before I went to sleep, was open. So it felt as if someone was in my house, one or more people that I'd been being watched. And I got up with a knife that was somewhere in the room, an old can of pepper spray from a self-defense course I'd taken years before, so it was probably empty, but I thought it made me look intimidating. And my Doberman Pinscher was probably more frightened than I was, and we went hunting through the house couldn't find anyone. I decided it was my imagination. I went back to sleep. But that Monday when I went into the office, as I began working with my patients, seven of my patients independently told me that they felt as if people were in the rooms watching us, where I felt at my home. Other patients felt multiple sets or pairs of hands working on them, um, touching them at the same time that I was working with them. Their eyes started darting back and forth as I moved my fingers or my hands. I could get muscles to move involuntarily in their fingers or their arms or their legs or a ripple in their face. When they opened their eyes, they told me they were seeing colors they'd never seen, smelling flowers they'd never smelled, and they started demonstrating healings, real healings. They were getting up out of wheelchairs, some of them vision and hearing returning. Kids with cerebral palsy or epilepsy were suddenly able to walk and run and play and speak normally, not have seizures, not need medications, um, 
more and more patients would call and ask me to teach this. Doctors would call and ask me what I did. I said I didn't do anything. Don't tell anyone. Of course, the more I said that, the more people came in asking to experience the same thing. When I said that I couldn't teach it, I really believed it wasn't teachable. I said, I'm waving my hands in the air looking like a fool. You go outside, wave your hands in the air, let me know what your neighbors say about you. <laughs> but my patients would call me and say that I drove home from your office, I pulled up in front of my house, and before I could hit the button to open the automatic garage door, it started to open and close by itself, or I walked inside the house, my lamp or my television started turning off and on, I felt sensations in my hands, I held my hands near someone in my family, and... Um, suddenly my grandfather could walk after the stroke or my uncle regained his hearing and that's when we found that once we interact with what science today calls the reconnective healing spectrum that something changes within us that not only allows us to access our own healings and receive them but allows us to facilitate healings for others and it's tangible you can you can feel this if, if for instance you open the fingers to your hand here, which I know we can't see in the interview, but what happens is I bring my hand in alongside and near yours, and I watch, and I feel. And as I do that, I look for those involuntary movements that your fingers are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Now, your fingers are moving. Are you moving your fingers, or are your fingers moving? My fingers are moving. Right. So I play with that. And you can try to hold them open really strongly. Okay if you want, and I'll come in and they start to move and respond again. And that involuntary movement and the associated sensations with them, if there were any, were you sensing feeling with it? Somewhat subtly, yes. Somewhat subtly, right. A little bit of a pull, a little bit of a push and pull. Is a pulling feeling Absolutely. for some people, pushing for others, sometimes hot, cold, wet and dry, sometimes mm -hmm. sparkling, sometimes pulsing. But what that is is your tissue learning to shift in a way that allows it to begin to carry and accommodate what science says is a new level or vibration of light and information that they haven't seen here before. Science mm -hmm. calls it more coherent than they've right. witnessed here before. Coherence, really another word for that, um, is harmonic, mm -hmm. more harmonic. Absolutely. And that's what they feel allows for the healings that tend to be so fairly instantaneous and pretty much lifelong. Mm -hmm. Wow, fascinating. You know, when you say the word coherence, I think immediately of the Institute of Heart Math and the great work that they have done mm -hmm. in discovering literally that the heart carries its own intelligence and is perhaps that, um, that conduit that connects us with everything else would you say that, I mean, obviously the heart has to play a role in, 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 I would think, in everything that we're doing on some level, but in this particular case with reconnective healing, what role, if any, is it an integral role that the heart may play in um, this modality in any way, I think? Well, I have a way of viewing that that in some ways meshes, in some ways may or may not, mm -hmm. I feel that there is an intelligence to everything down to the sub-sub-subatomic sub -sub -sub level. I feel that there's an intelligence to the liver and to the kidney and to the spleen as well as the heart. It's a human thing to associate the heart with love. 
and it may be there. Mm -hmm. But you know, our stomach, our gut feeling, also allows us to experience love. So I think this moves throughout the body. I think the heart plays an important role. And I think that some people are focusing their attention on the heart. If they focus the same attention to other areas, might they find some of the same thing? Mm -hmm. But with all the research that's focused on the heart, then what they found looking for what they were looking for showed them that, of course, the heart by them is considered, and by many, therefore, because they are respected in their research, um, the second brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. It's... I, you know, uh, Marilyn Schlitz, who mm -hmm. used to be president of, was it IONS, I believe? Yes. IONS or ICEM, IONS. Uh, once I was at a presentation of hers where she explained that studies have shown that researcher A and researcher B can do the exact same study under the exact same circumstances, same protocols, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and if researcher A expects results one to come about, and researcher B ex expects result two to come about, mm -hmm. researcher B will get result two, and researcher A will get result one. So I like to see that we find love, beauty, and intelligence in the heart, I would also like to see what would happen if we went looking for it in other places as well. Yeah, I think that's smart. I think that's, I think you're right. You do, and we are starting to hear more about intelligence being ubiquitous, not just throughout the body, but throughout the, the universe, obviously, and the fact that we're connected to it. And speaking of what you know, very interesting that I've heard you talk about what I like to call the, the micro and the macro, us of course being the micro, the macro being everything else, but the larger body of things and how we are literally a mirror of it and it of us. And I recall you talking about your reconnective healing modality as sort of following the idea of re literally reconnecting us with that macro through the meridians. Mm -hmm. Am I right there? I, I found that very intriguing. That, that's one of the ways that this reconnection does take place. There is a system of meridian lines that run through the body that have an energetic communication and an exchange. And at one time way back, um, a lot of people like to place this time frame around the period of Adam and Eve, for example, because in every society, in every religion, they talk about a time of humanity's separation from the larger picture mm -hmm. of God, love, and the universe. So Judeo-Christianity likes to block it around the Adam and Eve time. Other cultures, different times, different ways of expressing it. Speak about that. The reconnective healing frequencies seem to communicate through the meridian lines that are in our bodies that used to extend off and tie into the grid lines that encircle the planet and the globe, and from there, continue on out, tying us in to the rest of the universe. But micro and macro is an interesting concept, mm -hmm. because it all depends on perspective. Here we are, we look at ourselves as micro, and the universe with all the planets and the stars and everything is macro. Mm -hmm. And yet, what if the universe with all the stars and planets is really just us looking at some tiny little molecule that makes up one little part of a piece of wood that makes up the leg of a cocktail table that's in someone's home that's huge and immense? Then the universe becomes micro, 
And what if that is going on in the reverse, and what we consider a little subatomic molecule or particle that's within us, a whole world or universe is going on in there. So when, what's really micro? What's really micro? What's really macro? Mm -hmm. The multi-dimensions of the universe that are all taking place at once are taking place where? How does this affect us? What's our blueprint for who we are and how we communicate? And we consider DNA, for instance, to be a blueprint system, and it is. And when Reconnective Healing first started, I knew it was altering and restructuring the DNA. And um, most researchers at that time wouldn't look at this or even consider it. Now six international studies show that the Reconnective Healing frequencies restructure, or as I like to say, reconnect our DNA, raising the levels of light, as we talked about, to become more coherent, mm -hmm. more harmonic, which is what we think brings about this level of healing. And I'm going to say that healing comes about because, as we know, it's not just energy, it's energy, light, and information. Information is communicated, so this is communication, which is awareness, which is consciousness, which transcends the dimensions, and there, what are we, part of a little cocktail table like once again? Mm -hmm. Or the whole universe is part of what's going on, you know, within us, what's large, what's small. This has been articulated, <clears throat> Eric, I think throughout the, the years and generations, namely with William Blake, I think, of his, the universe is within a grain of sand, and therefore your idea of sort of the micro and the macro switching places, or really just being relative to our perspective, uh, I think is, is fantastic. I want to move, there's, there's so many things I want to cover, and I know we have a finite versus infinite <laughs> amount of time to talk, and I know we'll, we'll talk again. But I want to talk about labels for a minute, and something else that I, I had heard you say uh, in the course of developing this somewhat unique modality, reconnective healing, is you you he were hesitant to name it in the beginning, mm -hmm. because I think of the way you were, I think you were really kind of tuned into the idea that the labels are really just sort of a, <clears throat> a way of inhibiting the grandness of experience, I, I think if that's what I was getting. so. You, you didn't have a name for it, I think you were hesitant, and then how did you finally come up with Reconnective? Or? Well, I didn't want to give it a name because I feel that once we give something a name, we label it, as yeah. you say, we give it a box. We right. say, this is what it is. Everything inside this box is what it is, everything outside the box is what it wasn't. And I knew, mm -hmm. quite clearly, there were two things that I didn't know. A, I didn't know what it was, and B, I definitely did not know what it wasn't, because it seemed to be changing and expanding with every day. So I felt, no name, let's not give it a name. Oh, people couldn't stand the fact that it had no Everybody name. Everybody has to have a name for no something. No one yeah. could respect that it had no name. So people on the East Coast, uh, in the North, were calling it Eric Pearl High Frequency Healing because everything needed to be high. And on the South Coast, they were calling it um, Pearl Deep Natural Healing and somewhere else. It always had my name and it always had big or high or frequency. And, and finally I thought, all right, now I've only given a few seminars in this and already word it spread. I need to come up with a name. And I promised I was going to give another seminar on it coming up by a certain date. I need to come up with a name. So I put this big, I had this big, huge whiteboard 
in my office at the time, and I'm thinking, what can I call it? Well, it does this, and it does that, and it does the other, and I was looking for these words, and I'm going, let's see, there's um, ascension, and there's light, and there's information. There's, I'm putting letters and words, coming up with pretty sounding words, which meant nothing, the word, unless you knew what it broke down to and meant, and I didn't like that. I couldn't find it, I couldn't find it, I couldn't find it, and I had to put this next mailing out. I just bought a computer, my first one, because my phones, I couldn't handle everything by phone. And I thought, all right, all right, well, there was a three-month period of time when this began, where over 50 of my patients lost consciousness, and they spoke six phrases word for word. Oh, you didn't know this part of the story? Mm, I don't think it's so. It's in the book. Uh-huh. It's in the reconnection. Um, I held my hands near one of my patients. His head jerked back. His eyes rolled to the top of his head. His mm -hmm. mouth started to move right in. And a voice came out. And he said, we are here to tell you to continue doing what you were doing. Two days later, it happened to three other patients. They said, we are here. The first patient said, we are here to tell you to continue doing what you were doing. What you're doing is bringing light and information onto the planet. Uh, two days later, three other patients said those first two phrases, we're here to tell you to continue doing what you are doing, what you are doing is bringing light and information onto the planet, and two of them added, what you're doing is reconnecting uh, strands. One of them said, what you're doing is reconnecting strings. My first patient came back in and added, what you're doing is reconnecting strings. So now I have two strings and two strands. Um, a few days later, it happened to five other patients. It continued for a total of six phrases over three months, but... It's the third and the fourth phrase, reconnecting strings, reconnecting strands. And I thought, you know, let's just take that one word right now, and we'll call it reconnective healing, or the reconnection. And we'll do it just temporarily, so I can put this one flyer out, <laughs> until I can find the right name. And all of a sudden, when it went out, everyone said, as soon as I heard that name, I knew. Yeah, there was a so resonance then there. That, that, that was it. And what's interesting about that is there's no box. Because you can reconnect with your original essence of who you are, your soul, what you exist as, what you're aware of in between lifetimes. You can reconnect with that, which is always expanding mm -hmm. and continuing to grow. So you're reconnecting with something that's ever-growing, and there's no box. That's right. As I'm listening to you, and I'm, I'm seeing this sort of picture, this word picture, not word picture, but image literally emerge of... Again, this word infinite comes to mind, that it is ne there is no de obviously no demarcation between past, present, or future. It's just a continuum of evolution. I'm using all these little buzzwords. Have you had any recent epiphanies within the construct of your reconnected healing? Have you learned or realized something somewhat new? How long has reconnective healing been your? Reconnective Healing showed up on the planet in August of 1993 uh -huh. on a Thursday, and if I had realized the importance of it, I would have marked the exact date. But by the time I realized how important it was, there was no way I could figure out which Thursday it was. And to make <laughs> it more complicated, when I looked, that was in August with five Thursdays in it. So wow. I couldn't figure it out. Well, you're close, though. Um, so that was a while ago. So now here we are. Yeah. Are that epiphanies come in the ways that we learn to be able to explain and describe what's going on. Mm -hmm. 
And the way is that we see the same thing over and over again, and yet suddenly we see something new in what we've always seen. Mm -hmm. mm. Well said. And speaking as much as I do, I mean, just in these three days here, I've got three speaking engagements and, and probably about another seven or eight interviews going on. So, in essence, I'm speaking about a dozen times over three days. I'm always finding new ways to explain it and starting to look at how to expand and, and separate the explanation for different types of presentations. And when you ask me that question, I can't give you an answer That's for okay. it because nothing comes directly to mind right now. Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I, I think the latest thing that popped into my head is that we're always looking to vibrate at a higher level. To vibrate higher, vibrate faster. Now how can we vibrate faster if time is an illusion? Mm -hmm. How can there be speed if time is an illusion? Well, time is the illusion in which we live in these four dimensions, so existing outside of these four dimensions, where time doesn't change. I mean, within these four dimensions, time changes. You know, infinitesimally, we're in the tenth floor right now doing this interview in a hotel. Your clock, your watch, if you're wearing one, is moving faster here than it would be on the ground right. level. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, what's what's the common um, example? They point to, they say, if they take identical twins at birth and place one in a spaceship and send it way out, far away in the universe for 40 years, when it comes back, the sibling who's here, the 40-year-old sibling who's here goes to greet it and the door opens and a six-year-old comes That's out. Because right. <laughs> time is a different way. So, But we're still within gravity in its pull. So I think a lot of why reconnective healings, unlike energy healing technique healings, why reconnective healings are so instantaneous and lifelong is because they happen outside, outside of, of time, time, space, and right. gravity, where really vibration is lighter, freer, and faster because it's outside of gravity. So here, everything is dense. And why things entrain up instead of down is because they entrain towards an existence that's free of time, space, and gravity. Understood. Understood. Very well said. Let's talk about the frequency of fear. I've heard you talk about that. Kind of bouncing around a little bit, but it's all connected. Sure. We're talking about energy and information and things that are evolving us and things that are inhibiting our evolution, fear is certainly one of those. You, you've spoken eloquently about how fear, I think you use an example of, um, you know, especially in the new consciousness space, if you will, millions and millions of well-intentioned people are grabbing their crystals and pouring them on and they're wearing their talismans and they're doing their little dances. And, and I, I remember you saying, paraphrasing of course, 
what, what they're really doing is just re-emphasizing fear because they're trying to repel those things, which is really just essentially a focus or a wink and a nod to the actuality of fear. To bring, it into the, to bring it into their own consciousness. Fear, the vibration of fear, if you want to put it that way, mm -hmm. um, is a density which tends to slow things down so we get bogged down in the sludge of fear and we recreate it and recreate it and recreate it by studying. It's sort of like the concept, the old psychology approach to um, freeing yourself of certain problems is to, what did, what did they call it, um, process. Mm -hmm. Process and process and reprocess the experience. If your father abused you, experience again, experience again, experience again, pretty much you're experiencing on this dimension, that dimension, this planet, or that planet. Stop it. Let it go. Mm -hmm. We go where our attention is. And our attention, our direction, our consciousness is either coming from fear, lack, limitation, the illusion of separation, the illusion of darkness, um, or it's coming from love, prosperity, abundance, light, oneness, and unity. We can't give a gift we're unwilling to accept or receive ourselves. We can't stand in fear protecting ourselves as healers and white flames and gold flames and purple flames and um, you know and worrying about whether we're moving our hands clockwise or counterclockwise and facilitate healings that reside in love. We can't stand in lack and limitation adding this healing toy and that crystal and this piece and that piece to make us more and stand in the abundance of knowing that we are more than abundantly enough. Mm -hmm. You know a million people are out there trying to sell us the next new healing toys, techniques, procedures, and protections. Oh, yeah. That's not really what they're selling us. What they're selling us is fear, the fear that we are not inherently safe, naturally the light, and abundantly enough. Mm -hmm. And that does not mean these people who are taking our money to sell us fear are bad people. They're selling us healing techniques, telling us you need to do step A, then B, then C, then 1, then 2, then 3, instead of allowing ourselves to stand in the freedom where we're willing to be simply the witness, and the witness, the seer, and the seen, the observer, and the observed, and allow the universe to orchestrate. And that does not mean that these people are bad people for keeping us in control and taking our money to keep us in control and fear and lack and limitation. Because when we all leave this human earthly lifetime, and show up at that light where we come from, we will see them and we will embrace them, thank them, kiss them, bless them for doing their job so beautifully and say thank you for doing such an exquisite job at playing your role because Absolutely. without you I may not have reached that level of fear in my life that finally showed me that this is not who I am. I am not fear. I need not be there. And I had to overcome that hurdle in you to make it high enough for me so I could gain from jumping over it to get to the place to recognize that I was loved. So every person is playing a vibrant and important role in their life no matter what it looks like. Nothing is bad. Something's coming more or less desirable frames and ways we choose to experience it, but everyone is playing the role perfectly here. You see me grinning from ear to ear, nodding my head in the mm -hmm. affirmative. I absolutely concur. And this is a very contentious, sometimes slippery 
slope it when is. you have these conversations because if I can just say there is such a movement right now of identifying the bad guy the, 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 the evil government that's trying to do all of this to us and I have to tell you Eric for years and years as I've been looking at this from an alternative perspective in deep contemplation in isolation from all of that chatter I thought to myself I wonder if they're really doing us a favor maybe unbeknownst mm -hmm. to them consciously but if we want to look at it that way, perhaps they are teachers in the most profound regard. Had they not been there to make life hell for us, right. how on earth would we have this epiphany and be but able to reconnect? It's, it's not, not easy. easy at all, I but mean, it's necessary. Ask people, you know, about you know this um, character in history or that one who caused <laughs> these atrocities or this these traumas in Germany and Africa and South America Absolutely. and if you've experienced it it becomes more of a challenge to be even willing to look that there's a potential of light mm -hmm. in that interaction and in the healing world where people want to say that they're more open to that concept they're not because we will still hear people listen to this interview and confuse things and say, why is he making fun of techniques? Why is he making fun of healing toys? I'm not. They are perfectly playing their roles here and allowing us to go through what we're here to do. Mm -hmm. My role is to say and show us we don't need that any longer for when we are ready to choose to step off of that plane and on to the next, isn't it nice that something beyond that exists, that we can transcend that limitation? But viewing that openly is as difficult for some people in the healing world as viewing that perfect presentation argument, slash however you want to look at it, that you just laid out for us. It's not always easy, but our lessons come from doing sometimes mm -hmm. what's not often the easiest to do. Oh, most of the time, I yeah. think for whatever reason. Um, I love your philosophy. I love, love your philosophy. I'm going to say it openly. I try not to be biased, but I'm going to tell you. I really do. I, I resonate so much with what you have to say. We're going to wind down. We can't go as long as I'd like to, but I would love to have you back where we can elaborate on all of these things and really have people sort of meditate, reflect, contemplate on what we're saying. People are trying so desperately right now, we're at a precipice, I have no doubt, trying so desperately to make it over that curve, whatever it is, to become enlightened. Again, here we go with the labels. And yet, so many are, the harder they try, the more they're missing the boat. And this is why, not all, and I want to make sure to be clear about that, because I do think that there are some that are having epiphanies, like what you... Yeah, but trying is an important thing. Trying, In the yeah. healing world. Look, I've trained close to 100,000 people around the world how to do reconnective healing. And one of the most difficult concepts for some people to grasp is how to replace the concept of trying with one of allowing. How to replace the doing to, with being. How to replace the sending to receiving. Um, you know, when I would do these seminars, we're doing one in Los Angeles um, the Biltmore Hotel in downtown LA, I think September 11th, um, 
what we'll do is on the September 11th, on that Friday night, we'll give a three-hour presentation. We'll talk about the history, the theory, the philosophy, the science of the work. We'll bring up volunteers to demonstrate this with. We'll give everyone there a chance to feel this in their hands, like you just did, and mm -hmm. work with it. We'll continue that. It's really um, the level one of our training program now. It's a new training program. It's very different than what we taught before because it's much more expanded where we'll work with you with the tables and we'll show you how to access these frequencies and feel them. You'll see the person on the table go into involuntary movements with their fingers, their arms, their legs, and you'll trade places with them. You'll experience it. Lots of talk about the science, the philosophy, question and answers, more demonstrations, more practice time. It's mostly self-healing and familiarity with the frequencies and I'm beginning to really get to know them and own them so that you can move into level two of the training program, which will be on that Monday and Tuesday. On a professional level, we'll bring in volunteers from outside the seminar so you can work with people who don't even know what to expect. We'll teach you how to do this via distance, teach you how to do it holographically, teach you how to begin to set up and start your own practice and function as a healer. And, and by the end of level one and two, if you're there, I can pretty much make you two promises, which are A, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of healing that I can do, and B, you will be able to do anything and everything in the way of this type of healing that any human being anywhere on the planet can do, no matter how many techniques they've mastered, whether they were raised by monks in a cave in a mountaintop in Tibet, it doesn't matter their story. What matters is our willingness to let go of the techniques, the rituals, and the healing toys and objects, because this is the new level to step to, and it's just like, if you want the balloon to rise, sometimes you have to throw off a couple of sandbags here or there. Agreed. So, um, you know, I don't get to teach in the U.S. as often as I'd like. We have a few times we're speaking um, at Kripalu. Tell us where you're going to be as we wind down. I know you've got a frenetic pace. You're all over the globe. Give us a few of those dates if you can. I okay. know we're going to be speaking in Sacramento. Uh -huh. June 26th through the 30th. We're going to be in Philadelphia, July 24th through 28th. Los Angeles, as I said, September 11th through 15th. I cannot tell you when the Kripala dates are here. You're going to be in Kripala in my neck of the woods listening. May 1st or the first oh, week in May. you know those Yes, things. I know That's that because I'm hoping to see you there. <laughs> okay, well that would be terrific because I'm definitely looking forward to that. Yes. Well, great. And those are most of the U.S. dates. Dr. Eric Curl, always a pleasure to see you, especially here at the Conscious Life Expo. Thanks for taking the time for talking with me. Thank you, my Thank pleasure. you so much. Mwah! I hope everyone can hear that big kiss. Big hugs and kisses I'm going to borrow from my friend Lilu from Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. Thanks so much. Thank you. It was important for me to put this talk with Dr. Pearl in an intimate context. The incredible and touching story about his mother's birth experience with him and all of the clues that would lay the foundation for the path he would eventually travel gives one incredible insight about a life lived with passion, purpose, and a touch of exquisite mystery. The Reconnective Healing Method continues to thrive globally with no signs of slowing down as more and more people seek to discover the ability to heal themselves and others. I encourage you to learn more about the work of Dr. Eric Pearl's Reconnective Healing by visiting his website at thereconnection.com. And to learn more about Dr. Pearl's touching and amazing story that ultimately led to this breakthrough method, pick up a copy of the book, The Reconnection, Heal Others, Heal Yourself. 
As always, I thank you for tuning in to Conscious Inquiry. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.